we joke a lot on fundraising heyday, but we're both really serious about helping change the world for the better. And so is the Encore Institute for Social Impact. They partner with clients to help them increase and communicate their social impact through grants, fundraising, program analysis and design, strategic planning, and capacity building. Encore is here to shake up the status quo. And I know this because I am a strategic partner with Encore Institute for Social Impact and enjoy a little status quo busting myself. To learn more about their services, visit them at EncoreISI.com or check them out on Facebook or LinkedIn. Salutations. I'm Kimberly Hayes-Namuda. And I'm Amanda Day. And And you're you're listening to Season 3 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Here, here. It's also a real possibility that we're going to break into song, oh. talk about pie, mm. or refer to you, dear listeners, as y'all. Hey, y'all. And we hope all y'all mm-hmm. will subscribe to the Fundraising Heyday podcast. If not, what are you waiting for? Get on it. This podcast is brought to you by our season three sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Hey, don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. Today we are taking a deep dive into a critical section of most grant applications, the needs assessment. That's right. Some people call this the needs statement or even the problem statement, but no matter what you call it, this is a vital element of most grant applications. So let's jump right in with what you need to know to write a quality needs statement. I'm here for you. Okay. First of all, and I cannot stress this enough, start with an actual (laughs) need. I'm shocked. Tell me more. (laughs) Well, if you have no need, you have no proposal. If y'all don't need anything, don't you be asking for grants, okay? It's it's rude and wrong, and someone else can really use that money. Just really... And you know I have a story to oh, go with this. Tell your story, girl. Years ago, working for a local government, I had <laughs> Or a, did you have a friend working yes, for a local? Yes, a friend, yes. Um, working for a fire department, and one of the firefighters that I had worked on many a grant for respected the heck out of him. He comes to me, and he was like, hey, the fire department needs a new boat. Okay. Of course, my first thing was, we have a boat, and I don't know about this, and y'all have never taken me How on the boat? How can I ride on this boat? Yes. So he's like, yeah, we have a boat, and it's starting to fall apart, and we need a new boat. And we did have a man-made lake that's in a lot of sailboats and such out on this nice lake. Yes. Um, so anyway, so he's like, we need a new boat. And I was like, okay. So, of course, my first thing is trying to figure out, I can't just say, hey, our boat's, boat's old, Right. Well, you could, but it wouldn't be very effective. No, not at all. So I start asking some very pointed questions like, hey, how many people say over the last 10, 20, 30 years, however far we need to go back, have drowned on this lake? So we've needed a boat, right? This is a a reason why you need this. And his answer was, well, none. We've never had a drowning on the lake since it was created, right? Which, okay, that's fine. That's good for all the people who've enjoyed that lake. Yes. And I said, okay, well, how many times have there been some sort of an accident, whether it's boats Like an emergency call, maybe? Uh, Yes, some sort of call with boats on fire, whatever. Y'all have had to rush out, get on the boat, go and do your rescuing thing. 
Yeah, never was the answer. Okay, good that everyone had a yes. great time who was on that lake. Um, so I said, well, how many times has anybody, for any reason whatsoever, even if it was a false alarm, they've called 911, and that call required you to get in the boat and possibly go do something? The answer was still none. Oh, that's that's like, yeah. that's three goose eggs for yes. anyone keeping school. Now, before I completely wrote it off, though, I said, okay, well, here's one possibility, though. Is the answer that it's all none because you guys have done such an amazing job of doing boating safety and mm. boating education, mm -hmm. and you're constantly patrolling the lake, mm -hmm. and at the first sign of any shenanigans, you're putting a halt <laughs> to it? Because maybe that's why everything is zero, is we are doing such an effective job. It's pre like pre preventive medicine. Yes, absolutely. And I said, so if that's the case, then we could claim, hey, we want to keep it all at zero sure. because that's why people continue to come to our lake. I stand with you. Yeah. No, they don't do any of that. Okay, and I, I just said, sat down. I was like, wait a minute. What? So why do we even have a boat? How do we get a boat? And they said, well, once upon a time, a resident got a new boat and they donated their old boat to us. And we just, you know, like on 4th of July and Memorial Day, we tool around. It makes the residents feel safe. <laughs> yeah, what funder is going to be like, sure, we'll give you a boat so you can use it twice a year to make people feel safe. How nice. Yeah. How so nice. I quickly was like, yeah, that's not a grant proposal. That's a, hey, maybe another resident's ready to donate a boat. They're going to be trading up soon. Just yeah. get on in there. Someone's going to get a tax write-off. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> but yeah, so if there is no need, don't write the grant. You're wasting everybody's time because there's people with needs. And I, Amanda's story, breathtakingly crazy as it sounds to me. I'm like, why? Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> We're moving on. The lack of a new boat is was not a need. And yes. grants in general, and you know, I would say most donations, not just grants, people giving money to organizations. I realize local government, that's not really a thing. People give money in the form of their taxes. Yes, and they but, have no choice there, yeah, but yeah. straight up. But um for nonprofits and other related agencies, it's you it's there's something, there's a need to affect a positive change in whatever community they serve. Yes. And um in this particular community of affluent lake goers there was not a need it was not a need um and the whole point of either securing individual donations or getting someone to buy a ticket to your pancake breakfast fundraiser whatever it is you're doing your grant proposal it needs to be driven by wanting to affect a positive change somewhere yes. so a lot of times if you're new to grants in, in particular um where you have to demonstrate something in a need statement you might default to, well, we need more people because we don't, we have, don't enough have enough staff. people. Yeah, f straight up, it's, 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 yes, I agree. Or we don't have enough money to do the stuff. We need more money to do stuff. Yeah, we have old technology. We need new computers. That's our problem. And so here's the trick. Well, it's not even a trick. Here's the deal yeah. with writing a need statement. Then you have to take whatever that need is internally and find the external pain point that it's going to fix. So I like that thought of what's the pain point. Yeah. I just, I find that a lot of times, especially now working as a consultant, it's mm -hmm. like, here's the pain point I can fix for you. Yeah. Not, Oh, aunt Kim needs to bring in some money to pay her mortgage, which <laughs> um, is true. But <laughs> What I can do is, as a consultant, is use my skills and abilities to help relieve the pain that someone might feel about developing a fundraising plan or something like that or whatever I'm working with with these different clients. But 
when we are writing either a need statement for a grant, which I w- we're focusing on today, or a case statement, or a letter of support, or an email campaign, or a Facebook post, I don't even care. The need has to be for maximum effectiveness. There needs to be a true need in the community, a pain or a, a, a positive growth that you can bring about then because you will have access to these other things that the grant will fund. Does that make sense? Well, and the need is of the people or the things that you're serving. It's not your own agency needs something. It's no, if we have staff and we have computers and we have money, then we can serve the clients we were created to serve in the first place, whether they are homeless veterans or school-aged children who need to learn more. Doesn't have to even be people. Could be a park. It could be um, animals. It could be a no-kill shelter, whatever it is. It could be the environment. So, So my husband is a public school teacher and I help him every year with a donors choose campaign. Okay. Morally, I'm like, why do we have to raise money to get the things for the classroom? That Okay. Okay. But let me just step That's back. a whole other podcast series. Oh, but so I even, when he was first starting, he's like, well, I need these iPads. And I'm like, I feel you, but what's the benefit to the students to having this equipment or to having these special um, illustrated dictionaries. It's not what you need. It's what, how, how the students are going to grow and benefit by you getting this thing. And so, so it can be on a smaller level like that. It could be um, on a much larger level, like a transit authority, you know, Mm -hmm. they're like, we need a bus. And it's like, yes, you need a bus or buses, or you need uh, more rail cars or whatever it is you're working on. But really, it's so that more people will benefit from using, from increased access to public transportation. So it's an, it's an external facing focus that if you're new to this process, I just want you to think about. Or, you know, if you've been doing it for a long time and haven't been getting grants and have gotten review comments about your need statement, could be something to think about. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing you need to make sure you do is accurately define what your problem is. You can't just assume everybody knows what you're talking about, okay? So ways you can do that is you can consider using authoritative sources, okay? So think about who is the expert or what organization is the expert within the topic field. So if I'm talking about heart attacks and how those are affecting people and how we're trying to prevent that, I may go to the American Heart Association and see what they have to say about heart health. Or the CDC, you know, they yes. publish the morbidity and mortality reports. What, but, but yes, those um, trusted sources. Absolutely. Um, and you need to remember that sometimes your agency may be the best authority on True. a topic. If I am talking about crime for a small city, the FBI is certainly going to have crime data, but they're going to be on a much grander scale. They're not going to have that granular local level. They're not going to know how many cars were broken into in a certain neighborhood in a certain time period. My local police or sheriff's department is going to know that to the exact number. I saw this in action when I had a ride along as a part Uh of a leadership program I was participating in. I learned a lot. I'm sure officer Washington was so thrilled to be driving me all around the city until midnight. But, um, what I saw was the huge amount of statistical data that he was inputting, no matter if it was a routine traffic stop or domestic violence or weird things that go on behind the QT. That is not going to be another <laughs> podcast. I'm just telling you the the amount of data that local um government agencies collect oh, it's public crazy. health public safety it's school crazy systems crazy good crazy yes, good it really is and so if you don't think you can find anything on a national level it is okay to look to your internal 
local resources and they may have just the what best you data need. to share. Just what you need. Okay? And then you need to take from getting, you You define the problem, you look at your, you know, the data to support that, and you need to make sure you explain how that problem affects your community. Because you look at some of these bigger social issues, you know, feeding the hungry, there's a lot of hungry people across our nation, but whether you're in a very rural community that has no access to fresh fruits and vegetables because there is no grocery store within a you know 40 and mile there, radius there's no you, transportation there's no transportation to get you there that's very different than somebody maybe who's in an inner city i mean there's just depending on where in the country you are is going to define exactly how that problem affects and hurts your population right mm-hmm. so just make sure you give all this level of detail and the reason you need to make sure is because without all of those details your reviewer, whoever's looking at your grant and scoring it, they may not completely understand what you're talking about. And I've got a perfect example here. Um, about two years ago, I was teaching a grant writing class in Orlando, Florida. It was hot as Hades and the air conditioner broke. I will never forget teaching Y'all, this class. Y'all, she won't say hell. I'm going to tell you it was hot as hell. <laughs> I've been to Orlando. It's hell mouth. It is so hot. And I come from Georgia. I'm just saying. Anyway, so I was teaching all this stuff about problem statements. Then I had my class spend some time writing their own and then ask a few of them to share so we can give some positive feedback. Experiential learning. Exactly. It's a great thing. So anyway, so I had one um, young lady who worked for a small city that was near Orlando. And when she got up, she started off her statement with that 60% of her population was homeless. Okay. Well, that's a very startling statistic. I know the look on my face was like, there ain't no way that 60% of your city is homeless. Did you let them make up the data for the purposes of the exercise? Because I'll do that. I do, but just this, for the pur- but that was, that's but crazy. But she said this was true. And yeah, the, the look Kimberly is giving me is like, uh, no, there's no way. Because, I, I, I won't say never. I'm just going to say that's surprising. Tell me more. Yes. And so after she got through talking about everything else, I was like, okay, you're going to need to give us some more background because no offense, but if, if 60% of your city's population is homeless, how are you a functioning city in any way, shape, or form? Fair right? enough. Fair enough. And so one of the first things we had to talk about was the definition of homelessness. Okay. Because right, wrong, or indifference, at that point in time, I had never worked with a homeless population. So if you said homeless to me, my immediate thought was it's you're in the big city, it's the person living under the overpass, everything mm-hmm. they owns in a buggy cart oh, from Kroger. Right. Right. That was what I was thinking about when I considered homelessness. And she I told had, her that. She had a broader definition. She said, we define homelessness as not having a permanent sure. fixed address. Sure. So once you do that, it is it, it does the people I'm up. thinking about. It's also the 18-year-old whose parents kicked them out because they can't afford them. And he or she might live with his aunt for a month mm-hmm. until she can't afford to care for him. And then he's staying with his best friend for a few mm-hmm. weeks. They're, they're couch hoppers. Or people right? living in their cars. People that live in their cars. It's the family of five where dad lost his job. Oh, and yeah. so they can't afford their rent. But mom's still working and dad's doing what he can until he gets another good job. So they're at an extended stay hotel. Sure. So they have a roof over their head, but they are homeless because they don't have a permanent fixed address. It's people living in shelters. It's just all these things, right? So once you start opening that up, it's like, okay, I can see how it's bigger than than what I was thinking in my head. But still 60% is a lot. So she went on to talk about the things going on in her community. Mm-hmm. Well, they had just had a hurricane that had come through and wiped out a significant portion of their homes. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, their their population's homeless. Yeah. Most of them don't even have a home. Now, they're not living on the street. They're either staying in hotels or with but they're family, homeless. But, but they're, they're homeless. technically homeless, okay? So once she did all that, I was like, okay, now you're 60% totally makes sense. Ooh, I I'd believe be it. De- I understand it. That. Yes. So that just goes back to def- don't assume people understand what you're talking about. Define it as crystal clear as you can and talk about how it's going on in your community because that really does help paint that full picture and now i was like i understand yeah you've got a problem and there's lots of things that probably need to happen true that another thing you yes totally agree with you amanda you want to make sure you clearly define especially things like that when i was working at the food bank i didn't have to go Hunger is a bad thing. I mean, I think <laughs> yes. we know that. And it's, you know, hunger since the dawn of time. And no, 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 no. So you have to use your common sense yes. about where to go. And But it could be one in four um, um, children in Georgia doesn't know where their next meal is coming from. It could be something yes. like that. That's you perfect. know, to, to paint, paint that picture and get it closer. Another thing is, before you cite that statistic one in four, which I'd have to go look it up because it's been a minute since I've worked at the food bank, you need to make sure that you use quality sources when sharing data. And I hope you're all sitting down when you're listening here. But guess what, y'all? Everything that you find on the internet is not necessarily true. What? I know! <laughs> Astonish me. Um, Yeah. So here is just a quick run through some um, websites and online sources that are accepted as ways to go to find information. Yes. I'm just going to run through a few. Obviously, there's a lot more than this, but one place you can go is the census.gov, and it's all about the U.S. Census. And before we go into the drama that is unfolding about the census and what's going to be on it and who's this and that, and isn't 2020 the year, doesn't that mean the census is 10 years old? Sure, the overall census is 10 years old, but there are all these incremental phone surveys and other survey instruments that are administered on a very regular basis in the interim time between big decade marking of the of the census. Yeah, there are certain things that we collect, we as in the U.S. government, every one, three, and five years. Yep. So not everything on there is 10 years old. Some is just within the past year. And um, it's a great thing. I don't want to... Trust me, you can, and especially you can find information about businesses and economic development on the census. I just had my eyes opened um, this past fall at a presentation about that. So, census.gov. And since it's a .gov, you know that it is a government website. More on that later. Um, if you are working with kids, children, um, youth services, uh, programs for kids or families with young kids. You may also want to check out the Annie E. Casey Foundation's Kids Count Data. You can easily Google that and find that online. It's every year there's an update. You can drill down state by state. There's education information. There's poverty information, um, health, housing, um, all these predictive factors of children's health. They even have some county level data as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, and they do have some data on major metropolitan cities yes. like Atlanta mm-hmm. and big cities. So yes. you can drill down and find that. So that's helpful. Your um, regional development center or council of government, we call them cogs, yes. um, that can be a great source here in Atlanta. It's the Atlanta regional commission. Um, it could be the council of government in your area. They often have data around, Um, population demographics, economic development, transportation that is sound and collected on a regular 
basis and monitored by people in the know. So yeah. that's acceptable data. Yeah, every state is divided into regions for these either development centers or the COGS. And so you just need to figure out which region you belong to. And that's can find some really great stuff. And also, also the people that work there can be really helpful in collecting some information from you. So if you can't find what you need on their website, I highly recommend calling and just asking mm-hmm. what else they may have. Um, the National Science Foundation, NSF.gov, they have a statistics page there that can, if that's the science area, science education, those kinds mm-hmm. of things could be a great place to check. The Community College Survey, I haven't used that as much as I think Amanda has. Oh, no, I haven't used that. I have just heard several people mention that that's a great resource. Okay. And their website is www.ccsse.com. Org. Now, a government website that I have gone to frequently is the Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS.gov, one of the best named websites ever for the U.S. government. Thank you, U.S. government, for keeping it simple. Um, can I just say that the very first time I taught a training in Washington, D.C., I was walking to lunch and about a block away from where I was teaching was the Bureau of Labor uh-huh. Statistics. I totally took a selfie in front of their sign. Because we're not nerdy, are we? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Girl, no. no. I mentioned this early, the centers, and it is centers for disease control. So do not at me because I said centers. It's, it is the name. Yes. Um, CDC.gov. Um, okay. Funny note. Okay. Um, my sister, her husband's in the Air Force, so they live on a lot of military bases. Um, and on military bases, um, where you send your kids, like in after school programs, it's called the Child Development Center. <laughs> CDC. Also called CDC. And the first time my sister said, Oh, the girls are at the CDC, I You're was like, like Oh my what? God, <laughs> they're people in hazmat suits. <laughs> no, no, that's not what we're yes, talking about. No. Mm-hmm. I'm also the Bureau of Justice Statistics at bjs.gov. And I joke about my Google overlord, right? Because they are, <laughs> um, and they're not just mine. But here's the trick. Google Scholar, because sometimes, particularly around programs that are maybe around behavioral health, mental health, health and human services, you're looking for studies that are published in peer-reviewed journals and an academic setting that can frame help frame your need statement. Again, if you are working on grants for assistance to firefighters or police officers, it's a different story. But if you're not in local government, you're in nonprofits, this may be a source of data. And Google Scholar, you can, you know, Google it. um, You can put in what you're searching for. And what you're looking for when that pops up is you want to see articles that are frequently cited. And you'll have that information up there as well. And it can help you get started. A lot of times, the sort of the seminal articles and the, 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 the results or findings are actually listed out in the abstract and you could quote that because a lot of times what you'll find when you're looking for these research articles, again, um, studies of the effectiveness of certain curriculums or the effectiveness of um, smoking cessation programs or whatever's out there, um, you want to access the full document, but you might have to pay a lot of money to do so. And so sometimes citing, if the information is listed in the abstract where you can quote from it, you can find that in Google Scholar. And go to your local library. A lot of this stuff is available for free there. They may have those subscriptions. And a librarian is probably the best researcher on the face of the planet. It's what they went to school for. Don't be afraid to ask them. That's what they are there for. Public libraries, they're there to serve the public. Get on in there, make it happen. But be, but be respectful. Yeah. Now, Kimberly's listed all these great places. Mm. Um, so we're sharing 
data from other sources. So that means we need to cite where we are getting those sources from. So Amanda's going to walk you through all of that. What I want to say first is in smaller grants that are not or private funding, you don't necessarily have the room for a full citation of where you got things, but you still need to keep a list of what you find and what you cite because you might get called on it. And I had, and I was able to provide the, oh yeah, it was I in the grant. I said, according to a recent uh, study released by the Harvard Medical blah, blah, blah. And I wrote actually not blah, 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 but yes. I wrote the whole thing. And then the program officer said, hey, that sounds like a really interesting study. Could you send me the link? Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't put it in the grant because the word limitations wouldn't allow for it, but I had a list. So Smart. let me just set that, set that straight there that it depends on whether or not you put the citation in, depends on the length that you have. And you will know that because you will read the grant. Yes. Well, and it could be helpful too. Even if they didn't call you on it, you may write another grant and go, oh, that'd be a good thing to include. Where was that from? And so to have it handy is helpful. Yeah. So please please so, carry on. Yes. So um, kind of like Kimberly just said, you want to read that request for a proposal or the RFP and see if the funder has a particular citing method they want you to use. And sometimes they do. They may say you will follow APA or MLA or Chicago formatting style. And if they tell you this, guess what? Do it. That's what you're going to do. And I will give you a little helpful tip. If it's been a while since you have done APA citing in a paper, because... If you can't even spell APA anymore. Yes. Um, also, that's bad. Go ahead. Purdue University has a site called Purdue OWL, um, which you can go to, and it gives you information about how to cite by following the different formatting guidelines. It's absolutely free. Purdue OWL is wonderful tool. And they, you may be able to do that on Google Scholar too. And there's another one called Easy Bib. Yes, there's a couple of different places. Um, so if they don't tell you, you have to follow a particular citation method, that means you get to decide. And if you love MLA, then go for it. If you don't care, or you don't have a particular feeling one way or the other, you get to pick, okay? And the real key is to be consistent. And so oftentimes, what I do, if I'm writing a grant for a fire department, for, you know, the assistance to firefighters grant, they do not require any particular citation. It's so a different different kind of grant. It is. And oftentimes I will just say, according to... That's what I was talking about before. Yes. Yeah, you don't, have put, you don't have to put the full meal deal exactly. in the application. And even if it's my own data, according to the Alpharetta Fire Department... <laughs> according to a meant date. Yes. <laughs> the number one reason for calls is car accidents and that's why we need the big extractor thing or whatever it is right so <laughs> I'm, there's a the jaws of life we were doing jaws of yes. life sorry sorry you can't you see get that. what i mean yeah but anyway so figure out some people love footnotes okay but whatever it is just be consistent mm -hmm. throughout your entire application okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and really your funder is trusting that your words and your info are true because hello when whoever signs that application whether it's your mayor or the board of directors executive director it's you're they're signing that to their knowledge everything in here is true and accurate okay so they're trusting that the data and information that you're sharing really is that so and, and so don't be making stuff up yeah so another um, approach in putting together a need statement that's going to help, what I'm trying to do is help the reviewers who are just people who yes. may or may not be familiar with the community that, that this agency is serving. I want them to understand what the issue is 
um, what people or animals or whoever it is, what they're facing, if things change or don't change. And a good way to do that is to compare to other communities. And I don't necessarily mean geographic communities. Y'all all know that. It's whatever community you're serving, um, which may be your local, regional, or national, whatever it is you're looking at. Do those comparisons with like communities because what you want to, in a nutshell, this sounds this sounds bad, but what you want, you want to show that your need is great. Yes. Greater than others. <laughs> greater than others or greater than the national average or greater than the state yes. or greater than um, animal shelters in other parts of the country. Or yeah, I'm getting back to Amanda's example about Orlando, home, uh, the not Orlando, but whoever that small community was yes. outside of Orlando, let's be clear. Um they had this huge homelessness problem that was disaster, natural disaster related. You want to make those comparisons and make sure, again, that you're gathering the data, that you're doing your math right, that you're showing these comparisons in a way that makes sense. Yes. And another thing that I would tell you is a lot of times it's the easy way is to show a percentage increase like... Um, um, homelessness in community Y is 30% higher than the Georgia rates State of average. homelessness. Yeah. Um, or which, okay, and their homelessness is a problem in the state of Georgia, particularly in Atlanta and, and throughout the state as well. So, but if it's not, if the percentage is impressive, but the problem isn't in real numbers, isn't this huge thing, then let's look at that. What I'm trying to say is show your percentage, but also show the number. Yes. Like the, a, a while back, um, we'll do our time travel. Um, there were commercials for ivory soap, which was a very popular soap back in the day. And it said 99.9% .9 pure. Okay. Well, they never said pure what? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're <laughs> defining your percentages of what, or if you're promising that... Well, if you say homelessness has grown by 300%, well, what if last year it was one and now it's four? Which is very important that those folks are able to access what they need. Yes. But if you don't put that base number in, yes. first of all, your reviewer might go, hmm, and they might get out and do the math. I am yes. not a get out and do the math kind of person, but I will do that if you don't tell me if I'm reviewing a grant and I don't have a reference number. Yes. Because I'm like 400% increase, 400%. Of what? So that's what I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Um, so again, you can use comparative data, but also make sure that you have a reference base. Yes. So that people know 20% of what? 30% of what? Mm -hmm. so. And also when you're doing comparisons too, you really want to make sure that the problem is worse where you are. So going back to comparing to national, if homelessness in your community is 12%, but national homelessness is 30%, I, I'm not sharing the national number with my funder because all I'm telling them is there's other people who have it worse and that's who you should give your money to, right? But 12%, especially if that's a thousand people, that's that's a thousand people too many. Until it's zero, you have a problem. So it's okay to it's okay to not compare if there if you can still justify that there's a problem that needs fixing. Or for a smaller community, a a, a 20% increase in crime that's actually that's a huge jump yeah but the numbers might be smaller but that's still indicative that something bad is going on so we're not yes. saying only big um cities should get grant money that's not what we're no. saying we're saying 
use, I, I don't want to use, I want to use another example of something that I didn't like that I heard in a, in a grant presentation several years ago where the presenter was bragging that he was able to secure federal funding for his education program, even though his kids, the kids in his district were financially pretty well off because he did play that percentage game and it was like a 30% improvement, but it was like getting them from an A to an A plus. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, and he was like, and that's what I did. And I'm like, I don't even know why you're bragging about this. And I haven't been to a presentation that this person has made since. Cause I'm like, okay, you were able to spin numbers to your benefit, but in the bigger picture, I feel like what he did was a little unethical. You're taking money from other schools that, who needed that it That really needed it. And maybe getting a kid from who is in the fifth grade who is reading at a second grade reading level up to a fifth grade reading level is a lot more important than getting a child who had a, a, a high B average to an A plus average. Do you see what mm -hmm. I mean? I just, Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, in addition to sharing your data, here's a few ways to help share the full story of what's going on. Kind of going back to what Kimberly said, sometimes you're like, oh, my problem isn't that bad. And I, am I going to be as competitive? But as it could get worse. Others? Yeah, that's the thing. It, even though it's not that bad at the moment, consider what would it be? So maybe you can go back five years and go, hey, crime was almost non-existent five years ago. And then show a, do a data chart that shows how a every trend. year yeah. it's been going up 10 to 20%. That's bad. That's bad. And even though, so it may have been at zero and then it's only at five, but mm -hmm. then so now it's, you know, at this. And so you could talk about, Hey, it's going to continue to get worse if we don't nip it in the bud. Okay. Another way to frame it too, is if we wait for it to become a total problem, it's going to be way expensive to fix. But right now it's a minor problem, so we can fix it on a much more affordable level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's one way you could frame it. Um, you may also consider sharing the return on investment if oh, yeah. you're worried that your project is too expensive. Okay, so in that case, you're certainly talking about an issue that you're fixing, but you can also talk about how your solution not only fixes that problem, but it fixes other problems. The it impact on down the line future is Future problems that are more expensive and more damaging. Exactly. And a good example of this, um, we have a, a friend who writes grants for Habitat for Humanity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's an expensive undertaking, right? You're spending... You're building a house. You're building a house for a family of maybe four or six people. You start doing the math, you're spending a lot of money on individuals there. But it's not just that you're putting them into a house. You're mm -hmm. putting in into a stable home. You're putting them into a probably better school system. You're probably putting them into a, a safer environment. A stable environment. It's just, it's so stable. And so there's all kinds of, on Google Scholar, you can go and look up research that talks about children who are able to grow up in a more stable environment. They're more likely to stay in school, right? Mm -hmm. So they're more likely to be productive members of society, get a better job. Mm -hmm. So we're spending less money on healthcare resources later, less chance of ending up in jail or doing drugs and then having to go to rehab. I mean, there's just the trickle down effect of having a stable home and school environment is huge. And there's lots of documented studies in yes. peer reviewed journals yes. and other respected organizations, many of which we've listed that would help you make that argument. Exactly. So return on investment is a good way. Mm -hmm. Another thing is to share stories. If you've got a success story of an, an individual or a family who has ex, uh, benefited from the program you've done in the past, what a great way to show like, Hey, here's an example of someone that was here they went through this program and now look at all the success that they're having today. Or you could also take it to 
a more of a here's what happens if that person doesn't get those services. Yes, ex- absolutely. Um, and these stories can really be powerful. Um, sometimes even more so, I think, than the statistics you're sharing because it's one thing you know, you're like, oh, 20% of this, 30% of this. I'm one of those people. I need you to show me the data mm-hmm. to show that there truly is a problem. But I'm going to be more invested if I'm like, oh, I get how that affects. Walk me through how it affects one person. Absolutely. So, and then you want to make sure that you don't mention anything in your need statement if you are not talking about it later on. Because everything in your need statement, you should somehow be going, and this is how our program is going to help with mm-hmm. that okay you're and it, and the, it's that pain point yes. and here's how grant funding is going to come in and relieve that pain point if you will if that helps clarify so um a few other things we'd like to throw in i know we've been throwing a lot of stuff around we're yes. just we're just a violent unruly lot today <laughs> You got to use your common sense here and you got to sit down and look at that grant application. If you want to do it successfully and do it with the least amount of pain possible, you want to look at the grant, look at the application and look about how much space you have, not only for the need statement, the focus of today's episode, but all of the pieces of the grant. And that's going to help you determine how much you need to gather, how much um, you would have room to either do a full citation of where you found this information or just do one of those according to or uh, according to the Georgia Department of Labor, blah, 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 blah. It depends on uh, the amount of space you have. You may have five pages. You may have a thousand characters. And y'all remember, that's the oh, letters plus the spaces. But see, I so love painful. that. I see. I love I that. I hate it. See? Oh. Oh, we're just having in like one of those yin and, yin and yang moments because to me it's almost like a game to fit to to write so tight that you can answer the question in the space allowed, but you know to each his own. Um, again, the space allowed is going to determine how much room you have to explain all these things. Maybe you don't have room for every single article. Maybe you've got to pick the best one. Maybe you've got to take a story and condense it to two sentences. Mm-hmm. Just use the space you have the best way you possibly can. Again, supporting my longstanding argument, read everything through, consider that grant application like an instruction manual, in addition to the guidelines that you'll get to let you know how much time to spend, how much space you have. And if you can, if you have five full pages and a Word document that you're going to create and then upload charts, graphs, photos, tables anything if you can do that please use it but also please know that on most online grant submission portals these days you can't do that unless it's a separate attachment and again read it through and see what your limitations are and i think that's part of why i hate those online characters limited because you have to use your words there's no creativity there's no room for it because i mean in I'm raising writing, my eyebrow because yes. I'm like, really, girl? Yes. In your writing, there's always room for creativity. Oh, yeah, there is. But there's no, you don't get to put oh, in graphic, a graph. No, graphic design oh, ain't nothing. It. No, on. it's words. Use your words. Yeah. So, again, it just depends. And also, please remember, when you're talking about your need statement, you're framing, you're, you're telling the story, you're using data or stories to connect what you're connecting 
two is actually another person or people yeah. who are the reviewers. And sometimes it can feel like such an impersonal process because if you're a major donor officer, you're sitting with someone, you're walking them through, you're asking them if you're at an event, God help you. You are helping <laughs> people connect to your organization that way or a fun run, or if you are doing an email campaign, you can see those gifts coming in right away. Grants can feel very impersonal, but remember there's always someone, it's probably a tired someone because grant reviewers probably don't do it full time. At the yeah. end of their day, they're sitting down to read and just think about that tired, stressed person who's probably reading this grant at the end of the day or on a Sunday afternoon and help them understand by using data to paint a picture, by using stories when you can and writing clearly and compellingly and because you're trying to connect another human being to the story. Because sadly, we can't send pie to our grant reviewers. Oh, that we, would make them so much happier, I think. That would also be unethical, but oh, so tasty. <laughs> yes. So, man, I feel like we just zoomed through so much information here. We did, but in my humble opinion, I think it was some good stuff. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. I would also point out that you are probably going to spend a lot of time doing research and talking to subject matter experts to get all this info you need to put together your needs assessment. In fact, the data collection itself may take way longer than the actual writing of the need statement. And that's okay. She, she's for real about this, y'all. And also, I think grant writing is a misnomer. It should be called grant development. Yes. Because I have found that I spend, out of the 100% of time I would spend on a given grant, 80% of it is not writing. It's doing things like this. It's gathering the information, asking the questions, putting things in, making things fit. Um pulling all the information together, getting people to stack hands on other parts of the grant that we'll talk about later. Um, it just, but setting the stage with that need statement and getting all the right things together to really make your uh, persuasive and compelling argument um, is can just be the perfect opening for a grant proposal. And if you do it right, it helps everything else just flow. And if not, it may be hard to know how to get things started. But you know what? That's what grant professionals do. That we do. And remember, if you cannot document a need, oh God, why on earth would a funder give you any money? So. If you don't need it, do not even ask for it. Please, y'all. Just, just don't. And on that happy note, remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share training programs and other ways to learn. We would slap happy love for this podcast to be part of your professional development. And also, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Check out our new website, fundraisingheyday.com. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast, read our latest blog post, and so much more. Thank you again to our Season 3 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next episode on self-care in the workplace. We're interviewing Tara Davis, the Director of Staff Wellbeing and Engagement at the American Psychological Association. You can bet she's full of some fabulous ideas. You don't want to miss it, dear listeners. Until then, bye y'all. Mm -hmm.